Hello and welcome to another episode of Neuro Resilience. And in this episode, we're diving deep into intelligence and talking about the idea that intelligence isn't actually necessary for survival. Yes, intelligence is the vestigial tale of evolution. Uh, in this episode, we'll go into uh, what I just said about intelligence. We'll explore that proposal a little bit a little bit more in depth. We'll also talk about this idea of how we can liken it to the health of the body. And then also, I will give you my number one tip, my number one tip for success, for either intelligence or how to defeat intelligence. Now, saying all of this is quite easy. So what I'm going to ask you to do is please make sure that you are subscribed to the channels, wherever they are. If you are listening to this podcast, please consider signing up to my Substack. That's the email uh, notification system. So you'll get notified whenever there's, um, you know, any new podcasts or if been been a guest on other people's podcasts, or if there's anything else that I'm sharing, I have my own audience there. So only a portion of what makes it onto iTunes, Spotify, Google podcast, Stitcher is actually available to you. So feel free to please subscribe to my Substack. More cool stuff is coming as well. Also, I love interaction. So please feel free to send me anything that you think would be really interesting to discuss, to talk about, to have answered. And without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay. Starting with this main idea, I remember a few years ago, I actually said this to my wife, where I said, did you know that the proposed theory is that intelligence isn't necessary for the survival of a human being? And she was blown away. She was like, what are you talking about? And it's really this concept that intelligence is a byproduct of evolution, right? There is no reason for humans to have developed the intelligence that we have, or really there's no evidence that intelligence is needed at all. So getting deeper into this, it's more this idea, again, the hypothesis is the social brain. Hey, that's what we're all about here on neuroresiliency is making sure that we're paying attention to the evidence that's supplied around what our neurological system was devised for. And it seems to be the social relationships, the social brain hypothesis is all about your brain developed to be able to manage relationships in large part. And then in smaller parts, there are other things as well, like managing movement and making yourself more or less valuable to the tribe. So again, it comes back down to relationships. Why? Because human beings are tribal animals. That simple. So if I'm saying we're tribal animals, there's a future episode coming out this week as well that's based around uh, the social needs of humans or rather the social brain elements as well. So we'll get more into those details. However, to say this, it's very simple to say that um, if you look at the world demographics that are out there and we take intelligence and we just decide to measure it according to something like IQ, well, guess what? Most people are going to be 100. 100 is average IQ. Average IQ. And the amount of people in the world that are at that 100 IQ, well, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. The amount of people who are between 100 and 120 is far fewer. You know, that's again, one standard deviation away from normal. So guess what? That amount goes down a lot. And then, you know, intelligence is what we would call, I suppose, anything above 110, 110 IQ points above that. If you're above 130, depending on, you know, which IQ test you pay attention to, you're considered gifted. But 
there is no data to show that higher intelligence will equate to more success. More intelligent people don't necessarily get more success. Well, why is this? And if you think about when we're talking about intelligence as well, the people that we appreciate are usually not people who are intelligence uh, who are intelligent who have used their intelligence to actually gain their riches through intelligence. You know, because it's almost this idea that we consider it to be a, a trait that they're born with. Oh, they're just smart by birth, and therefore we don't appreciate it. We always love a good rags to riches story. Someone who's come up from the slums, worked hard, they're not the smartest tool, you know, smartest bulb, light bulb in the uh, in the shed. I don't know what's uh, the sharpest tool in the toolbox. That doesn't make sense. Either the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know. Um, we like people that have come up from nothing and they're making something of themselves and they're the grit, the hard work, the productivity. So we tend to appreciate people who have that kind of story a lot more than people who um, didn't necessarily overcome stuff and naturally have either intelligence or they naturally have pathways open to them. They naturally have this money. We respect that type of success a lot less. So that's very telling when, when we look inside ourselves and we kind of ask ourselves those kind of questions. But beyond that, this concept of um, intelligence is really now being broken down into multiple factors where we talk about social intelligence or we talk about emotional intelligence, you know, and most IQ tests are testing your ability to be rational, logical, mathematical. You know, there can be a linguistic intelligence as well. And you look at the amount of people out there that are polyglots where others are like, whoa, you're a genius. Musical intelligence as well. Many different types of intelligence. But you don't need to be musical to be able to have achieved success in the world. As a matter of fact, there's many musicians out there who are absolutely terrible when it comes to talent. But they manage their image and their market really well. And they're able to achieve high levels of success just through managing uh, their brand and their image, which is ultimately what they are presenting to others. So the relationship with others and how they are managing the perception of themselves in the eyes of others. So again, social, it all comes back to the social brain. So if you think about this from a, an evolutionary standpoint, as a child, we need our parents. And so we tend to evolve to create dependencies as children on the people around us to meet our needs. Which could mean, you know, if if we're babies and we we sense that there's no one around us, we'll cry to make sure we're getting attention. You know, the amount of times a child will be like, "Look at me, look at me, look at me," and they want attention, even though they're doing something that's exciting for them. It's a good way to make sure that the adult is paying attention to them as well. As a teenager, quite interesting. There was really interesting um, studies that were done that showed that when when you are developing your uh, your social identity, which happens in your teenage years, usually early between, like, let's say, 10 and 15 years old, and then you just reenact those same kind of behaviors, what happens is you start to notice behavior that when a teenager joins a group of other teenagers, they will turn down all markers of identity. So imagine that they've got a panel in front of them of a whole bunch of knobs you know, from 1 to 10. And each knob is like a different trait of personality, like kindness or expressiveness, awareness, openness, whatever it is. And when they join a group, they will turn all of those dials down. That's phase one. They will join that group and, and turn all of those dials down in order to observe what the dials of the group are. 
right? What is the social identity of the group? Is this a kind group? Is this a cruel group? And then based on their need for belonging, they will then turn their personal uh, dials up and down to match that of the group. So in other words, when you join a social group, you will be as unobjectionable as possible. And then after some time, once you've developed it, you will dial into the group's identity as well. And then after that, phase three is then looking for a way to create unique status in that group. So for example, you know, in a in a soccer team, you've got like a captain, you've got a vice captain, let's say you've got the defenders, the goalkeeper, you know, you will figure out your particular position within the group and take up the traits that are good for that position. And you will reinforce your identity as that position as well, whether that be the clown, the leader, the bully, the victim, whatever it is. So as a teenager, again, you know, we are connecting with people. As a child, we're connecting usually with caregivers. As a teenager, we're connecting with peers. And as an adult, this all wraps up into this weird psychological soup that is very difficult for us to unpack. Now, that's where it pretty much stops. And this is where we get into part two. So part two is how can we understand intelligence then? Like, what's the point of intelligence? Like, why why do we value intelligence to some degree as well. And we always want to be smarter. We want to be identified with being smarter. A lot of the time, if we look at the health of the body, so this is where I'm talking about this metaphor of how we can understand it when we understand the body. There's a lot of people who are surviving without actually looking after themselves. So consider this. Consider a balance between surviving and thriving So survival is living, sure, but thriving is living well, living beautifully, like really enjoying it as well. So when it comes to food that we eat, there's a lot of obesity out there. There's people eating garbage, absolute trash, and they're trashing their bodies, but they're also eating way too much food and it throws out their hormones and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they're still alive. They're still living. They can still achieve some, you know, financial success and You know, you can see someone eating unhealthy and then go and run a marathon. You know, so eating unhealthy is, is again, you know, one thing that's going to add to that idea of survival, not necessarily thriving. Because if a person dials in what they're eating to be really healthy foods, unprocessed whole foods, etc., and then also getting dialed in on how many calories just their body requires on a regular basis so that you don't have weight loss or weight gain that's unwanted, but it's managed to manage load. If that is the case, then what we'll find is a person who's much more thriving. You'll find that they'll be much more in the camp of thriving versus surviving. So the same is said for like musculature and working out, you know, cardio, any anything like this. You don't have to do it. As an adult, you absolutely have all the freedom in the world to choose to not do it. And it's a lot easier to not do it. And doing it requires a lot of grit and effort and consistency. But the rewards for doing it is that you shift yourself over from a survival to a thriving mentality, perspective, box, shall we say. And so once we start looking at this, we can see that um, to move from survival to thrive, it's a consistent practice of good habits. That's it. A consistent practice of good habits. And I would put those 
good habits into two categories, stopping the bad and getting the good. It's that simple. Stopping the bad (laughs) and getting the good. So what do I mean by this? Well, if we talk about health, stopping the bad from a nutrition perspective is like, we'll stop eating junk food, highly processed foods, highly processed sugars, you know, like horrible, you know, uh, seed oils, things like that. Why? Well, because they all build up and over time, they're going to take their toll. Some of them um, will take their toll a lot sooner than others. So stop the bad coming in, right? No, in terms of movement, what am I talking about stopping the bad coming in? Well, if we're talking about stopping the bad coming in with movement, we're like, well, don't sit down and vegetate for eight hours a day. But also don't exert yourself 100% for six hours every single day because you'll also burn out. So it's about finding that harmony and understanding what is bad for you. Like maybe you've got an injury in your knee, so don't do things that are going to flare up that injury. It's very simple. And then getting the good. Well, when it comes to health with nutrition and food, well, that's easy. Just, you know, make sure you're eating whole foods, natural processed, et cetera. Um, And when it comes to movements, you know, that's like, well, do some some resistance training to strengthen your muscles to get more muscle mass. Um, You know, do some good cardio, you know, but all within range, you know. So the idea about consistently practicing good habits is how we move from surviving to thriving. So what does that look like when it comes to our intelligence? Well, let's think about stopping the bad coming in. What what would that be? So I'm a huge believer in making sure that we're not paying attention to things that are so out of our control or are flagging emotional things that come up within us. For example, um, sensationalized news. It doesn't matter if it's true or not true, but sensationalized news is is designed to do one thing, which is to trigger and evoke negative emotions in you and create a dependency so that you keep coming back to this news outlet to see how things are developing. Okay? That's, that's huge. So I eliminate it completely from my information diet, shall I say. The other thing to to say about this is also then paying attention to what matters to you. So there is this idea of like, well, stop the excess from coming in. Find a harmony. You can only manage so much information at a time. So make sure you're paying attention to information that feeds two needs, which is making sure you're taking on information that you, you need to have for your day, but also information that you need to have to feel emotionally satisfied as well, emotionally fulfilled. So you're getting the good stuff the two good things, and you're making sure you're limiting it, stopping excess so that it's too much, like just like too many calories or too much exercise. And you're also stopping the toxic stuff, like exercises that are ridiculous, like squats on a BOSU ball, you know, that are going to blast your knee if you do it too fast or, um, you know, eating unhealthy sugars or something like that. So making sure that you're sticking to those those ideas of quality and quantity and making sure that you're keeping out bad quality stuff, and too much of certain things as well in excess, as well as practicing the good habits of giving yourself, you know, what you need, what you enjoy on a regular basis too. Now, I told you that I'll give you my favorite tip that can actually help you with both thriving with your intelligence as well as thriving in social situations as well. And that one tip is very simple. It's to develop your muscle the musculature around exploration 
for the sake of exploration. Huh, let's go there. Let's take a look at this. Let's do this. Let's do that. So a lot of people feel a lot of stress. And I'm going to touch on this a lot more in uh, the next podcast that comes out, which is going to be um, the start of the psychological half of the 10 harmonies. So if you haven't checked that out, I've already done the five physical parts of the 10 harmonies. I'm going to do the five psychological parts. And the first of the five psychological is the social side. So I'll touch on this a lot more. But I want you to consider how much um, we get scared or pressured when we're going into social situations, let's say public speaking, how much that actually makes us nervous and anxious. And exploring that on a regular basis, just like we would uh, exercise a muscle in our body, just like we would practice a good habit of eating right. Huh, this is a vegetable. I wonder what it tastes like. Huh, I wonder if I paired it with this. Huh, that's quite interesting. So exploration for the sake of exploration, not because we're trying to dial in and, and become like the optimized human being or anything like that, but literally because we are just curious, where does that road lead? And enjoying the journey of walking down that road. It doesn't matter where it leads. The destination is irrelevant. The journey is actually more important. So the process of walking down that road. So I'll give you a good example with this, with intelligence, is that for the longest time, I thought that art is hum humanity's masturbation. Look at how smart we are. Look at what we did. We made this art. We did this painting. I wrote this poem. Ooh, look how great we are. Let's pat each other on the back. You know, good old back slapping session. And I just hated it. Couldn't stand it. I, I thought it was irrelevant. If I control the world at that point in time, let's just say that art would be banned. Any form of that kind of expression would be banned. And I'm sure some of you are really horrified to hear that because you're like, oh my gosh, you want us living in like, I don't know, if you've ever seen Equilibrium, the movie with Christian Bale, where basically everyone is emotionless, numb to feeling, you know, and there's like all art is banned, all works of art, books, whatever it is, banned. And uh, I decided to challenge this within myself and go through this process of exploration where I said, okay, let's go to an art museum and just go and see some art. Let's go and do this and just go and see this for the sake of it. And of course, by the way, there was a glaring contradiction in my uh, opinion because I used to love movies, which is a form of art. Surprise, surprise. Past Justin, you're being a bit of a numpty. That's okay. I forgive myself. <laughs> it's who I needed to be at the time. And so I started going to art um, museums, art galleries, you know, looking around and just not even, not even being very informed about the art, but just paying attention to what I liked and what I didn't like. And what was quite interesting was I would choose one or two things and I would really read up around the story, around this painting, whatever it was, but then the story around the artist as well. And the story around the times that those artists lived. And it was so interesting to, to read up on the genre, you know, like, so what type of art it was, what type of art movement it was, the artists at the time, the materials they used. It was so fascinating. And getting into the philosophy of art as well and the appreciation of art. And I mean, this sparked no end of conversation with one of my past colleagues. Um, he was phenomenal. Shout out, Vittorio. And um, yes, that exploration then led me down that pathway. And now I, I actually have such a profound appreciation for art. And not just that, but like, 
pleasure, like fulfillment from um, consuming art and spending time on it and really savoring it and devouring, eating it up as much as I could. Love it. Absolutely love it. And more to the point, light art is what I've found that I really enjoy, where certain things light and dim, and therefore the art takes on like a fourth dimensional quality of time. Like the art will literally change as I observe it. It'll take on different flavors. So I, I like that idea. So this is one tip is explore just for exploration's sake. And this has got to do with intelligence. If you're curious about a language, don't you don't have to come up with some program where you're going to get fluent in three months. Like you don't need to do that, but you can engage so much, so many muscles by just having some good, consistent habits that you practice regularly that allows you to just explore for the sake of exploration because it helps you. It really helps you to get what you need and also a little bit of what you want. Now, let's flip that tip to explore and also talk about that socially. There are so many people who identify with social traits and say, oh, I'm an introvert. And yeah, let's just say I have so many debates with people where I'm like, no. Introversion and extroversion is something that I actually feel is a umbrella term that doesn't deserve to be there. And perhaps this deserves its own episode. But the concept is, is that you've practiced introversion. You, Yeah, oh, well, introverts get their energy from being alone. No, it's because they've practiced gaining energy from doing things that they're involved with, like exploring a topic, for example. Trust me, I was diagnosed an introvert by a therapist when I was 18. Yes, I understand the points. However, anyone who meets me nowadays would say I'm an extrovert. And no, extroversion and going out and meeting people and networking used to drain the hell out of me. Ask any of my friends. And now it doesn't. Why? Because I've exercised certain muscles. I've explored, huh, I wonder how comfortable I could be in these situations. You know, look at the past. What made you uncomfortable? And get curious about that and explore that, just like you're exploring using a new piece of equipment in the gym. Have a little fun with it. Do some research on it. You know, find out a couple of strategies, get some techniques, practice a little bit more. And before you know it, it'll be automated. And this is one of the biggest adaptations in my mind. One of the biggest things that's come up with regard to the brain is that the brain is an automating machine. That which you practice on a regular basis will become automated, which is why it's important to consistently practice good habits for health, for intelligence, wellness, social intelligence, whatever it is, consistently practice good habits, even if it's just 5% at a time, 1% at a time. By constantly practicing your good habits, you're going to build an automated neurological pathway that you're going to go to regularly. And all of a sudden, things are just going to get easier without you even knowing it. So that's it. That's all I got for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Intelligence is not necessary for survival. And um, absolutely true. You know, it's more about the social brain. However, intelligence is something beautiful. Exercising it can be incredibly fulfilling. And explore for the sake of exploration. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love... And appreciate a review, 
a rating on Spotify or iTunes. I believe Google does Google do little bit of Google Podcast doesn't allow you to do that. Surprise, surprise, Google. What's going on? Um, however, if you're a part of the Substack, I would love for you to reply to me and let me know what you thought. If you have any ideas, I will absolutely respond to them and I'll absolutely make them part of the show. I can't wait to connect things like this. And that's all from me. I will speak to you again in the next one. Ciao for now.